Hey, welcome to week number three of our series uh, that we've been in called Unshakable Future. Uh, next week is going to be the finale on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, we're going to be looking at and talking about the return of Jesus Christ and how that's going to all happen and how that's going to go down. Uh, so I want to invite you back next week uh, for our conclusion of our series. That message is going to be called Live Ready. Week number one, we talked about what happens when we die, our physical bodies, and uh, you know, is there you know, purgatory, this sort of thing. Uh, last week, boy, Pastor Randy did a fantastic job, didn't he, talking about heaven. So, of course, it probably, you figured out what I'm going to be talking about today. Yeah, that's right, hell. And... Uh, <laughs> I know, you're probably like, wait, you're seriously going to be talking about hell? Hell yes, I am. And, and I'm going to tell you, just preparing for this, it has scared the hell out of me studying this. And, uh, um, you, you know, I, I think there's so much in the Bible, really, that, that talks about hell that we don't want to think about this very much. But I think it's really important that we take one message to really look at this because... Uh, if we really are going to understand how glorious the gospel of Jesus Christ is, what Jesus has done for us, we need to look at really what he has saved us from and also allow that to inspire us to share the good news with other people. Because hell is a very, very real place, and that's what we're going to find out today. And, and if we don't accept the reality of hell, uh, we'll never again appreciate the glory of the gospel. And so I want to go back to kind of our big statement for this whole series, and it really has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today, lessons from the other side, and that is what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. If you don't believe there's a hell, then, then why even follow Jesus? I mean, what's the point? But the reality is there is. The Bible makes that excruciatingly, painfully clear and, and it really helps us to appreciate with incredible gratitude and humility all that God has done for us. Here's some statistics that are pretty interesting. Uh, on the topic of hell, 74% of Americans believe in heaven. 74%, so almost three-quarters of Americans believe in heaven. But only four out of ten believe, four out of ten, 40%, believe that those who reject Christ spend eternity in hell. So a whole lot more believe in heaven than actually believe in hell. And of those that, that believe in that there is a, a literal hell, Americans, the population, only half of 1% of people believe they themselves are actually going to hell. Half of 1% of the American population. In other words, that's, that's for other people, but I'm a good person, there's no way uh, that that would happen to me. But, but Jesus talked a lot about hell, the Bible talks a lot about hell, and, and, and we need to understand what it really says. So all my notes are on our website, valleyny.cc, and you can check those out, follow along, put a lot of scripture in this message, because I, I think it's important that we're not just building our understanding that heaven is a literal place, as we heard last week, and hell is a literal place as well. And because of what we do in this life, it determines our unshakable future. One of two options. Is it going to be in heaven or is it going to be in hell? 
That's the unshakable future for every human being that's ever been born and ever will be born. Jesus talked about it this way in Matthew chapter 7, and he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So for just a minute, kind of not even playing devil's advocate, but if I were the devil, this is what I would do. I would try to convince everyone that there is no hell uh, and not to take the teachings of Jesus Christ and the teachings of Scripture seriously. Just, just, just say that's all legend, that's all fairy tale, it's not really real. And, and, and just encourage people to live the way that they want to, to justify their sin, to give no thought at all to Jesus Christ, and, and not to live with any type of fear or reverence for God at all. For believers, though, uh, so many times this is, it's, it's so easy because we don't believe in a literal hell as the teachings of Scripture give us. And so what that ends up happening is we end up living incredibly self-centered lives and really we idolize our comfort instead of taking the words of God, the Word of God, the Word of Jesus very, very seriously. And those that reject hell often What's the other thing? They reject also sacrifice. They avoid persecution. You know, we just love the world. Uh, We're we're of the mindset and the worldly way of thinking. And and we rarely, rarely share anything in our life. We become self-centered and self-focused. So it leads us to like the big question that I want to answer in this message today and then look at some lessons from the other side from a literal account that Jesus gave in the Gospels. But the first question I think that we need to answer is this, why does hell exist? I I mean, why would God do that? So many times people that don't believe in God say, how would a loving God do that? Well, first of all, maybe you should believe in him before you start asking why he does the things that he does. But, But anyway, why does hell exist? Well, there's two reasons why hell exists according to the scripture. The first is hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan once and for all, to do away with Satan. You know, so many times we think of uh, uh, Satan is, is some kind of red guy, you, you know, with a tail and, and a pitchfork. A lot of that imagery actually doesn't come from the Bible. Uh, it comes from Dante's Inferno, you know, Middle Ages, I think maybe even written before then. Uh, that's where a lot of our understanding has is nothing biblical at all with that picture at all. Uh, and we think he's just kind of like, you know, this, this little nemesis or, or, or something like that uh, with, with a pitchfork and horns. But, but the reality is Satan is the embodiment of all that is evil. All evil in creation ultimately emanates from him. Satan is behind every addiction, every abuse, all fear, all pain. All shame emanates from him. The Bible refers to him as the destroyer, the deceiver, the dragon, the dark angel, the serpent. He's the adversary of God. He's the enemy of God. He's the tempter. The Bible refers to him as the wicked one, the thief. He's called, Jesus even calls him the father of lies, the prince of darkness, the angel of the abyss. In the book of Revelation, 
It says that his whole agenda for your life and my life, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to kill your joy. He, he wants to steal your faith. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to obliterate your marriage, and he wants to kill your kids. That's who Satan is, and is real. And the purpose of hell, hell was created primarily, first and foremost, so that God would deal righteously with Satan. In other words, he would get what's coming to him. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, tells us this. And it says, And the devil who deceived them, that is, deceived humanity, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's an unshakable future. Satan has an unshakable future. And that is, God's going to deal with him once and for all according to his righteousness, the one that all evil emanates from. However, God created hell for Satan primarily, but he's not going to be there alone. The second reason why God created hell, why it exists, is that hell exists for God to deal righteously with unbelievers. In other words, with those who have rejected Jesus Christ. That, that deny that Jesus was the Son of God, fully man and fully God, lived a sinless life, laid that life down as a sacrifice for all who would receive him, took it, my place and your place, and rose again. Those who reject that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So many times we want to remake God into who we are. We want him to, to agree with everything that we feel, all of our opinions, so we can be comfortable in our own personal sin. But that's impossible for God because God is holy and that means that God is completely other than we are. And, and the only way that we can ever be right before a holy God is by receiving his son, Jesus Christ, as our savior. And if we don't, if we reject him or, or we're just passive, we don't actively receive him, then we have an unshakable future as well and it's not in heaven then it's in hell. Again, the clear teachings of Scripture, and, and this is uncomfortable, but we need to listen and take to heart what God's Word says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. That is the teachings of Scripture. Those who have not accepted Jesus Christ have, in essence, rejected Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis put it this way, and I kind of quoted this in one of our in-person services uh, during this series, but I wanted you to see it quoted correctly. C.S. Lewis put it this way, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, that's in this lifetime, and those to whom God says, in the end, Thy will be done. And that all that are in hell choose it. It's not God's will that anyone would go to hell. That, that's not, hell was not created for human beings. It was created 
for Satan. But all those who are deceived, all those that, that reject God, God will say, okay, you didn't want me in life on earth. You won't be with me in eternity in my presence either. And, and so this is no fun. There's no fun in hell. Uh, this is why we have to accept the reality of hell. It allows you and I to appreciate the glory of the gospel. And, and Jesus told an account, and I want to look at that right now, and, and it gives us a glimpse into just a glimpse of what the, the start kind of of hell is going to be about, not even the ultimate. And we'll, we'll explain that in just a minute. In Luke chapter 16, it's very, very interesting. Uh, he tells a story about a rich man, and most scholars believe this is not a parable. This is actually an account that happened, and Jesus is recalling to mind an actual account of two men. The reason why most scholars believe that is, and it gives us incredible insight into the other side, what hell is going to be like, is because he names one of these men by name. And in every other parable, every other allegory that he told, he never gives the name of anyone, but only in this. So this is not a made-up story to prove a point or help to illustrate a point. This is an actual account that Jesus, God himself, is giving that took place. And it's very, very sobering. Luke chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, now here's the whole thing, just a little context of the culture back in the time. Someone's dressed in purple, that generally meant they were incredibly wealthy or probably, most likely, even royalty. Uh, to have cloth that was infused with purple was an incredibly expensive dye. And linen itself, if you had a robe that was made of linen, the reality is the kind of the exchange rate on, on linen robes back in biblical culture time was, was if you were to sell that linen robe and exchange that for the current currency, it would be a rate at which you could actually feed a person for an entire year. So, so this man was so wealthy that his clothes were, were so costly that it would actually feed someone for an entire year food. That's how wealthy he was. He was wearing a year's worth of you know, value in terms of, of, of that kind of salary just in his clothing. And it, says in the, it goes down in the next verse, verse 20, and it says, at his gate was, a, was laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now here it is. It's not a made-up story. This actually happened at the gate of this man's home. There was a man, and his name was Lazarus. And he was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Literally, he's just, if I could just have the crumbs from the table, that would be enough. Now, here's the thing that's important to notice about this account that Jesus is giving here. The rich man wasn't doing anything wrong, he wasn't doing anything at all. He didn't murder anyone. He, he didn't betray anyone. He didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't do anything at all. And look at what happens. Verse 22. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man, and this is, a, this is a temporary place before 
Jesus Christ's uh, life, death, and resurrection, Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, some translations uh, actually uh, use that phrase as well. And it says, and the rich man also died and was buried in Hades, now this is a temporary place, again, that we find out in the book of Revelation, Hades is actually thrown into the lake of fire, into hell. But this is bad enough as it is, as Jesus is giving that account. In Hades, where he was in torment, and he looked up and he saw Abraham far away. Abraham's bosom, I'm sorry, is a place of peace. That, that's like the intermediate before heaven. Hades is the, the temporary place before ultimate hell. And he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So Lazarus is with Abraham, remember him, who did it right. He's in a good place. The rich man is in Hades. And they can actually see each other. It's a crazy story here. And so a lot that's going on here is we're getting this, this glimpse, really. And it goes on and it says... The, the rich man calls out, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. This is not even ultimate hell at this point. This is just before Jesus' death and resurrection when it was permanently made heaven and hell. But just even this preamble, he's in absolute agony. And in hell. And he says, can't you just, you know, just, just have my, the guy who was begging outside my house during my life just to dip his finger in water just to cool it off. We're getting this, a glimpse of this unspeakable torment of what hell is going to be like. It, it, it's worse than the fiery furnace. It's like burning sulfur. The Bible says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's isolation and outer darkness. There's no light. There's no people. There's no hope. It's not a party. It's not drug, sex, and rock and roll. That's not hell. There's no pleasure. There's no happiness. There's just pain and torment and no hope. In fact, Revelation describes this, what happens to those who are separated from Christ in eternity in hell. And what it says is, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. An unshakable future. No second chance. No reprieve. It will never end. It goes on forever and ever and ever. That's why it's so serious. That's why our hearts should be so grateful for what God did through sending His Son, Jesus Christ, for us. That because not of anything we deserve, but because of His sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. We're saved from this eternity, as we heard last week. Instead, we're in heaven with our heavenly Father. Th this, is, uh, th th this is just so hard to think about. And the point, the reason it's so hard to think about is 
That's not what God wants for you. That's not what God wants for me. That's not what he wants for anyone. But we choose that. He gives anyone the right to choose that by simply rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. The Greek word that in the New Testament that's used for hell it is actually the, the Greek word Gehenna, which was an actual location just outside of uh, Jerusalem. Gehenna what comes from the Valley of Hinnon, which means the place of everlasting punishment. See, see, some people believe, well, hell is not a, a permanent thing. It doesn't go on forever. There's, it's finite. It'll end at some point. There's only one problem with that. The word itself says it goes on forever. It goes on forever, everlasting punishment. Jesus used that word, Gehenna, several times, referring to it was literally a garbage dump on the south side of Jerusalem. It was a place that there was always a fire burning, and they would burn waste, they would burn sewage, and they would literally burn bodies of of criminals after they'd been executed, would be thrown on the stack of Gehenna. And the fire continually burned, as I said, dead animals, the bodies of criminals, human waste. This is what the word that Jesus chose to describe hell, Gehenna. And the images of of maggot-infested refuse, worms, burning flesh, a smell that is beyond sickening. That's what Jesus chose, that word, to describe eternity for those who have not received him. Hell is nonstop. It's an eternal fire, torturous suffering, and unending pain. One scholar put it this way, it is the land of no more good. No more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope, no more chances. An unshakable future. That's how Jesus described the waiting place eternally for those who reject him. Back to the account that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 16. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. When, when Abraham said, no, he's not going to give you a drop of water for your tongue to ease your agony in any sense. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Even that, he, he, that there's no chance for him to get out, there's, there's no change in his situation or station. He's like, please just get word out to my brothers so they don't join me here. There, there's four lessons, I think, from the other side, from this actual story, this actual account that Jesus gives that I think it's important, as hard as this is, to, to really look at these four truths found in, in this account that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 16. The first one is this, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. He was fully conscious and aware. In in other words, it it wasn't like a dream or anything. He was aware of what was going on. He had a memory of his life on earth. 
of his brothers, of his relationships. He had a memory of those things that he could recall. He felt pain, and he felt incredible regret and remorse, but it was too late. He'd made his choice in the life that God gave him here on earth. The second thing is this, the rich man's eternal destiny was irrevocably fixed. As we said, unshakable future. What we do in this life determines eternity. Heaven with God or hell separated from him for all time. Third thing I think is important to to just uh, take a moment and consider is this. The rich man knew that his suffering was just. He never said it's not fair. There's this sense of which that, that even in that moment of agony and torment that this rich man that it says he did nothing wrong but, but, but he did nothing at all. He, he was just passive to God. Just not actively in pursuit of God and, and God's way. He never says this is not fair. He says it's incredibly painful. This is, this is torment, but he never says this is not right because he realizes there's this sense of I'm actually getting what I deserve because I have not received the only way to God, and that's Jesus. There's this realization that the punishment, the eternal punishment, is actually fair. Think about that for a minute. He complained about his pain, but he never complained that it was unfair what he was experiencing. He knew what would happen to his brothers if they didn't trust Jesus Christ. The same thing that was happening to him for all time and eternity. Fourth thing is this. The rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus. Please tell them. Please go back and warn them so that they don't fall into the same eternity that I'm in. See, this is why we've said through this series, and next week we will as well, talking about the return of Christ. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. Anyone who's in hell is not saying this is not fair. There's this realization is, yeah, I didn't receive Christ. I could have. I just wonder how many times in a person's life that, that changing around the channels on the TV or on the radio in the car, how many times when a friend that, that demonstrated the love of Jesus and, and, and showed forgiveness and mercy and even maybe wanted to share with you, I don't want to hear that. I don't have time for that. How many times in that stillness of isolation and loneliness that, that the thought crossed that person's mind, I'll reach out to God, and the next thought was, no, he's not real after all. I don't want anything to do with him. How, how much opportunity every single person, no matter where they are, the opportunity. In the book of Romans in the New Testament, it actually says that God's hidden attributes are, are revealed in creation. And, and so someone just walks outside, no matter where they are in the world, no matter what their culture is, they just look outside and they look around and they realize someone had to make this. 
there's not, no, no one on their own comes up with the big bang, random, can't even happen again, never been duplicated before. No one, no one comes up with that. And if they pursue God's hidden attributes that have been actually revealed in creation, God will reveal himself to them in enough way from that general revelation, specific revelation enough that they will come to saving faith. I, I could tell you story after story after story from friends of mine that, that have incredible ministry outreaches, even in the Middle East, in, in nations that are, are ironclad Islamic nations, where, where Jesus is, re, is appearing to people in their dreams and, and sharing with them what he did for them. And they wake up and they put their faith in Christ and then they tell their family and their family puts their faith in Christ. Don't even have a Bible. And then a house church is started. One of the, one of the nations in the earth right now where Christianity is growing rapidly, more rapidly than anywhere else. You know where it is? Iran. Iran, where these kind of things are happening all the time. No one has an excuse. No one has an excuse. Right now, there are more Christians in the nation of China than the entire population of the United States. The entire, it's like if the entire population were sold out to Jesus Christ of the United States, that's how many Christians there are in the nation of China, where it's a persecuted church. The rich man begged, and he pleaded that someone would go and help his brothers know Jesus. See, the reality is, none of us are good. None of us deserve Jesus. None of us could ever be good enough. That's why he came. If any of us could just get to heaven by, and bypass Jesus, there's no reason why he ever came. Jesus came for all of us because we're all sinners. We're all guilty. I, I want to read to you some verses now that, that I think are really important even when we think about hell because the reason is, again, God didn't create that for you. He didn't create that for me. He didn't create that for any human being. But we choose that. And, and so I want to read you some verses and just to kind of counterbalance what we're talking about today so we understand that he really is a loving God. This is not what his desire is for any of us. What does God's word say about his love? He's not just just. He doesn't just act justly and fairly, but he's love. Well, probably the, the most quoted verse in all the Bible. More people know it than even necessarily know Jesus. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and here it is, believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. That's what God wants for all humanity. And at the same time, counterbalance to that, is Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. How do we get eternal life? In Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's the only way that we receive eternal life. That's why Jesus made that all-inclusive, exclusive claim 
for anyone that would receive him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's God's desire. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. And I love this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, it's just by Jesus. It's not by anything Greg does. It's not by anything you do. It's just by Jesus. He will certainly save us from God's condemnation because we've received his sacrifice. We've received him as our Savior and Lord. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for your personal sins and my personal sins, satisfying God's justice once and for all. But if we don't apply what he did for us on the cross by receiving it, him as our Savior, then we have to pay that debt ourselves. If we don't receive him as our Savior and Lord, then we have to pay that debt ourselves. And that's what hell is all about. This is on display at the cross of Jesus Christ, the amazing grace and the unquenchable love of our Heavenly Father. And I want to end with this verse because I think it kind of not only concludes what we're talking about today, about lessons from the other side. And it's hard to look at, it's hard to think about. But it also sets us up for next week as we talk about Jesus Christ's second coming, his return in the finale of this message series. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. What promise is being talked about here? The return of Jesus. He's not being slow. People say, why hasn't he come back yet? Here's the reason why the Bible tells us. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent of their sins. That means turn, that word repent means 180 degree, turn from our sin, receive Jesus Christ's forgiveness as our Savior and our Lord. That's why he's not being slow in this. He's patient. He doesn't want anyone to be in hell for all eternity. But we choose that. He wants everyone to repent. Listen, that's why we want people to know Jesus. Because we don't want anyone <laughs> to suffer this for eternity. Because it's real. Uh, this, this is why we pack, pack Operation Christmas Child boxes and, and send them all over the world. It, it's not so that, you know, some, so a, a child at Christmas time can be happy. It's because in every one of those boxes that's sent is a story of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel in their own language that they can understand. This is why we feed the hungry. This is why through Valley Christian Church we help the poor. Uh, this is why we share the love of Christ with others to demonstrate and to tell them how much God loves them. Because we don't want anyone to experience this. And that's the responsibility that you and I have. 
Because just as heaven is an unshakable future for all those who would receive Christ, hell is also an unshakable future for all those who do not. It's not just to avoid hell. It's to share the good news of eternal life, God's goodness, God's grace, and God's love for humanity each and every one of us would just receive his son Jesus Christ we're going to stop right there and we're going to pick this up next week with the message living ready about Christ's return but right now I just want to close in prayer and before I do that I want to share with you what what I'm going to do I'm going to close in prayer and then I'm going to give you an opportunity you're watching on our online campus wherever you are right now If you've never taken a moment to just pray, open your heart up to Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior and Lord. The the Bible puts it this way. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you will have an unshakable future, not in torment separated from God, but in eternity with God and Jesus Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is hard. We don't want to think about it, but Lord, we we believe the truth of your word. And God, thank you for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, sending Jesus to live a sinless life and to lay that life down as a sacrifice and a substitute for each and every one of us. That, that when he rose from the dead, we could be confident when we receive him, we turn from our sin, we are saved. And what awaits us is an unshakable future in your presence for all time and eternity. Thank you for saving us from eternal torment separated from you. And God, may we, may we take your word seriously and share the good news of Jesus Christ more passionately and be more determined to do so from this day forward because of the reality of Jesus' words and your word, the scripture, that informs us of two destinations in a, of an unshakable future. Right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to lead you in a prayer that you can just repeat after me right now, right where you are. Open your heart up to Jesus if you've never done it before. Just pray with me now. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my sins today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And Jesus, I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me by your Holy Spirit from this day forward and I will follow you. Amen.